those days after Christmas, we usually do a little bit of reflection on the holidays. People will ask us, well, how was your Christmas? And as we start winding things down with the celebration, we maybe reflect on what we've done, what were the high points, what things maybe we want to do next year. In fact, we might even have a post-Christmas to-do list. You know, things like, okay, we've got to start packing this away now and relocate this or that. Maybe we're going to repurpose some things, maybe some gifts that were given to us, or maybe that recycle uh, the wrapping paper or boxes to be used again. Or maybe we just start planning to use those gifts that we got, putting them to use. Maybe there's some other things on the list too. But just as we've had that pre-Christmas checklist, so we have a post-Christmas checklist too. And that's what I want to give you today. A post-Christmas checklist for your spiritual life. That checklist is going to include five things, and they're all focused on a home for Christmas. And as we have been emphasizing all month long, it's a home really for Christ. Today, we're going to look at one of the last two homes for Christ, and that is when he was taken as a baby to the temple. So we're going to learn from that how our worship becomes a home for Christ. One of the familiar accounts for the Christmas story is when Jesus is taken to the temple and Simeon and Anna see him and express what's in their heart. From that, we're going to learn what our worship can be like so that it becomes a home for Christ. So let's work our way through that account this morning, beginning with Simeon. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Can you uh, go back a few weeks and remember some of the excitement or anticipation you were starting to feel about Christmas? You knew it was coming, you knew how many days were left to get everything ready, but you were kind of getting excited about it, looking forward to it. And maybe that's true with the new year coming up as well. Maybe you know some things that you'd like to do, and so you're planning that already. Or maybe you're even thinking farther down the road to the Super Bowl and what you're going to do for that. Now, we get excited about things like that because we're pretty certain that they're going to happen. Nothing is going to stop it. How could Simeon be so excited about the birth of Christ and, and go and worship God for it? It's because his worship was fueled by the promises of God. Now, I picked that word fueled for a purpose. We put fuel in our car. Why? So the car runs. What is it that's going to make us run with worship? It's the promises of God. That's what fueled Simeon's worship. Now, how do I know that? 
Look at the description that we're given of Simeon. He was called righteous and devout. Righteous meant that in God's eyes, he was right with God. Not based on what he did, but based on his faith in God's promises. Sometimes people will ask me, how were people in the Old Testament saved? Because Jesus hadn't come yet, and he hadn't died for the sins of the world, and he hadn't been raised from the dead, so how is it they were saved? The same way you and I are saved, through our faith in the Savior. For them, it was the promised Savior. That Simeon is called righteous means he was right in God's eyes. God, like he did with Abraham, had credited righteousness to him through faith in his promises. And Simeon, being devout, no doubt was a man who read the scriptures, studied them, held them close in his heart, because these spoke to him the promises of God. So that would be one way that we know that Simeon was fueled by the promises of God. But our text also shows us there was a second way. The Holy Spirit had spoken directly to him, had given him a specific revelation that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. That phrase, the Lord's Christ, reminds us also of the promises of God. That word Lord was the word that was used to describe God in, in his faithfulness to all of his promises. Specifically, Simeon has in mind here the promise of a Savior. We're told he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, the consoling, the comforting of Israel. For all of those who were, in, who were mourning over their sins, who were living in the misery of the suffering that their sins brought them, this is what he was holding on to. This is what fueled him to go to the temple to worship. But what about us? What fuels your worship? What brings you here? Isn't it the same thing as it is with Simeon? The Spirit working in your heart through His Word, His promises. Now there's there's a lot of promises that God gives in the scriptures. I've got a little book. It's called uh, something like God's Promises in the Bible. And it has them all categorized of how God promises to provide for us, to guide us, to, to guard us, to forgive us, to give us eternal life. There's a whole list of things. There's, there's a new one that I like and I'm kind of growing fond of it. It says the, that the strength of young men is their glory and the glory for old men is their gray hair. I'm getting kind of fond of that one. But there's so many promises in the scriptures that speak to us of God's love. Those promises can fuel our post-Christmas worship. In other words, they can keep that joy and excitement of, of Christmas and, and, and worshiping alive. So how do you get that joy? Well, search the scriptures because that's where the promises of God are. Know them, and like Simeon, claim them as your own. So the first thing now on our post-Christmas checklist, 
is to be fueled, to have worship that's fueled by the promises of God. Now, Simeon spoke when he met the Holy Family. Here's what happened. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Moved in seeing this promise fulfilled, Simeon now has worship that's festive with praise to God. Now, before I continue, I want us to remember that the scriptures told us the Spirit was on him. So that means the words he was speaking were coming from God. Words that the scriptures have recorded for us to listen to and to learn. And what were those words? Words about peace. He said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. Now there's something we're all interested in, right? Peace. Isn't that kind of the, the big topic in the news today and with the presidential campaign? Peace. How can we have peace in this world? How can we have peace in our country? Aren't we all a little bit on edge with, with, with terrorism? Wondering where is it going to happen next in the world or maybe even in our country? And we're looking to our leaders, get this solved, help us. So we have a little bit of worry or concern about peace. Do you have any concern about peace with God? I would answer no, and I hope you would too. No concern, because God has declared to us we are at peace with him because of Jesus who has come into this world to live for us, to die for us, to rise again for us. That is what has brought peace between God and us. So we have no need to worry or to fear. We have peace with God. And that's why, like Simeon, we too can pray, Lord, dismiss us. That word dismiss really meant set us free. Release us from the fear, from the worry, that sin has brought us, and that death has brought us. Now, Simeon says, you've, you've prepared this for me. It's like he's looking at it like it was a, a wonderful banquet. I'm sure that in the last few days we've all had some nice meals, some good food, huh? Look at the good food, the tasty grace that God has given us in the Savior. He's prepared that for us to take in and to enjoy and to be festive and to praise God for it. We also note, however, that it's not just for us. He says that you prepared for all people. It's a revelation to the Gentiles to let those who do not know about God know of their need for God and how it's met in Jesus. And that becomes the glory of Israel, the reputation that God in His grace chose that nation 
through whom he would bring the Savior into the world. Simeon's words of praise were, were so festive. We're told that when Joseph and Mary heard it, they marveled at what he said. They too were filled with praise. This child of ours is the Savior who brings us peace with God. Now as we reflect on the past few weeks of Christmas, we can say, wow, we've had some really exciting praise services here. From our, our choir cantata, our children's service, the live nativity, our regular worship, our, our Christmas Eve and Christmas Day worship. That, that spirit of, of God's salvation was alive in our worship as we sang hymns like Joy to the World, or Savior of the Nations Come, or Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Peace on Earth, they talk about. We, we praise God for that gift of salvation. But it doesn't have to end. That praise can continue by staying focused on God, who He is and what He has done, being faithful to His Word that brings us those promises, and then letting that praise that we have here in church spill over and fill every corner of our life. So a post-Christmas list check item would be Let's be festive in praise to God for his gift of salvation. Now there's another thing that we can learn from Simeon. Because after he finishes his song of praise, he now talks directly to Mary and Joseph. He says, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. You hear what he's talking about? See what he's focused on? The plans of God for this child and people's relationship with God. You know, he could have talked about a lot of things. Probably being very knowledgeable in the scripture, he could have said, oh yes, he's going to bring sight to the blind. He's going to heal the sick. He's going to enable the lame to walk. And he's going to set prisoners free. But instead, the Spirit moves him to speak specifically about our relationship with God. He used two terms to describe people's relationship with God. The falling and the rising. By the falling, he meant those who would fall, who would stumble in their belief over who Jesus was. That is, they would reject him as God and Savior. For whatever reason, maybe it's because Jesus didn't meet their expectations, what they wanted God to do for them. Maybe it was simply they can't understand how this could be God if he let people overpower him and put him to death? And how would he be the Savior to give us eternal life when he himself loses his life? They didn't see how God's plan was working in Jesus. 
But Simeon also spoke about how Jesus would be there for the rising of many. That is, that people who put their faith in him, who trusted him as God and Savior, would be raised up from the depths of their sin, from their sorrow and sadness and fears and worries, and have the joy and confidence of eternal life. Yeah, of all those things Simeon could have talked about, the Holy Spirit directs him to focus on the plans of God for our salvation. Now why that? Because that particular point is a dividing and deciding point for eternity. Let me say that again. Talking about God's plan of salvation is the dividing and deciding point for eternity. And so let me ask you a question. What side are you on? Do you accept Jesus as God's Son and your Savior? Then know that God will raise you up as His children and give you the joy and certainty of eternal life. That, my friends, is our profession of faith. That's what we declare as God's plan of salvation. Not in what we do, but in what God has done for us in Christ. It's been summarized so beautifully by Martin Luther in these words we're familiar with as he explains for us the second article of the Apostles, the Christian Creed, talking about Jesus. I know you're familiar with it. Let's use it right now to profess our faith. Would you say with me the words you see on the screen? I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. He has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. All this he did that I should be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he has risen from death and lives and rules eternally this is most certainly true. That's our worship. Fueled by the promises of God, festive with praise for God, and then focused on God's plan for our salvation. But there's two more things that we can add to that post-Christmas worship checklist. We learn them from somebody else who comes into the temple at this very time. There was also a prophet... Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Like Simeon, Anna had been blessed by the Holy Spirit to come in at that time and not only to see the baby Jesus, but was enabled to hold him in her heart. Now we see something that characterizes her worship. Prayer and fasting. 
And so we can add to our post-Christmas worship checklist, worship that is fitted with prayer to God. Now I chose that word fitted because we think of that when we have clothes, right? How do your clothes fit? Now maybe you got some new clothes for Christmas, or maybe you gave some clothes for Christmas. I always find it safer to just give my wife a gift card to go buy the clothes she wants. But when we're buying clothes, we often wonder, you know, is a person going to like them? And are they going to fit? Did I get the right size or the right style? Now, I in particular like the adjustable waistband pants because throughout the year, my waist size tends to fluctuate. But we all want clothes that fit us well. Prayer is what fits our spiritual life well. Because prayer is our opportunity to bring before our God our needs. Notice Anna never left the temple, but was there night and day praying and fasting. Her prayers were a perfect fit for her life, as they are for us. Because they've been tailored by God himself. God tells us that the Holy Spirit takes our inner groanings and turns them into prayers and places them before the Father's throne. Now, along with prayer, Anna fasted. Now, some of us might go on a little bit of a fast in the next few weeks to try to lose all those extra pounds we maybe gained over the Christmas holiday. But that wasn't the kind of fasting she did. It wasn't dieting that had kind of a self-centered focus. Oh, I need to lose a few pounds so I look or feel better. No, fasting was setting aside eating for a period of time in order to express that your dependency was on God. Well, Jesus told us that when the bridegroom comes, the people at the wedding party don't fast, they feast. Well, Jesus has come. So we don't need to fast, although it's okay to do so, but we do need to pray. Because pray, praying is how we express our needs to God. So on your post-Christmas worship checklist, add to your life prayer that's fitted around the needs of your life. Here's one way, let me suggest, that you can do that. And maybe you have seen this before. Using the word ACTS, A-C-T-S, as a little outline for what your prayers can be like. That A stands for adoration. Like Simeon and Anna, let's praise God for the blessings that he has given us, especially in a Savior. And based on that faith, that trust we have in Jesus as our Savior, then confess your sins, your need for a Savior, and your confidence that in him you have forgiveness. When you realize that you now are right with God, your prayer will be filled with thanksgiving for that blessing and all of the others that you have along with it. Then finally, you can make your supplications. You can bring your, your requests to God, knowing that he will hear them. We know that, and that's why we say we pray in Jesus' name, which means I am praying with faith in Jesus as my Savior. So fit your life now with prayer, trusting in your Savior, Jesus. There's one more thing, though, that we can learn from Anna. 
Coming up to them, that is the Holy Family, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Her worship, filled with praise and thanksgiving, was also fashioned in such a way that it would proclaim God. And that's what our worship is about, too. It's been fashioned or designed to praise and proclaim God. Now, I use that term fashioned, again, thinking of clothing. When people choose certain clothes to wear, it's, they, it's because they have a purpose in mind. I think women choose the clothes they wear because it makes them look good. And then, at least for my wife, she chooses the clothes the men wear so that they also look good. You know, she's got to color coordinate me. Men tend to pick their clothes because they have other purposes in mind. They just want to feel comfortable. Or maybe they're going out to play golf. Or maybe they're just going to be working in the backyard or in the garage. So we all have our purposes in mind for the clothes we wear. Our worship is also designed or fashioned with a purpose in mind. To proclaim God. It's not to have you come here to learn about the 10 easy ways that you can get your life in order and live a better life. It's not finding out about how you can be successful now on the job. Oh, for sure, when we follow God's ways, we will be blessed. But worship is designed to proclaim God, who he is, what he has done, and how we are blessed through him. That's what you hear in our songs, in our readings, in our messages, in our prayers. It's all about God. It's certainly a message we don't keep contained within these walls either. It's a message that we want to proclaim in our community. And we do that through our many ministry programs here. But as our, as our church mission statement also says, we want to proclaim it throughout this world. And so joining with the other churches in our church body, we support mission work that's done all over the world. In particular, our congregation over the last couple of years has made special gifts to support mission work in China, in Haiti, Malawi, Indonesia, India, and the Apache Reservation. And these past few months now, we've, we've even gone into the uh, prison up in Vacaville to share God's word there. That's what we want to do. Proclaim who God is. That's our proclamation. Let's stay dedicated and faithfully proclaim it all over the world to everyone who needs to hear the redemption that's theirs in Christ Jesus. So there's your post-Christmas checklist. You maybe have things on there like putting the tree away, getting that garage organized again, etc., etc. But don't forget about your worship life. Have it fueled with the promises of God. Make it festive with praise to God. Focus on his plans of salvation. Fit your life with prayer. And then be filled with proclamation for your Savior. In that way, you will make your worship life a living, loving, and lasting home for Christmas. Amen.